What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hey friends, thanks for joining a podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show. Patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Can you believe it? Facebook didn't realize those ads were paid for by Russians, even though they paid in rubles. <laughs> God. I thought these people in Silicon Valley were smart. What do you say? Hello, everybody. On a Thursday, can you believe it? Second day of November. Here we go. The Bill Press Show, another special Thursday edition from uh, our nation's capital and our studio right in the heart of the action on Capitol Hill. With all the news of the day, uh, House uh, Republicans still trying to come up with a tax reform bill or a tax cut bill. Uh, They promised it yesterday, didn't deliver. They're not even talking about it today. Maybe tomorrow. Donald Trump still says he wants a vote by in the House by Thanksgiving. It ain't going to happen, friends. Take it from me. It ain't going to happen. They don't know what they're doing. Uh, That's just one of the topics that we're talking about. Uh, Plus, of course, uh, Donald Trump uh, just lashing out. And attacking, not not standing together with attacking the people of New York, the senator from New York, uh, dividing again and politicizing uh, the terrorist attack in New York on Tuesday on Halloween. Uh, what a contrast with Donald Trump after Las Vegas at what happened to be a, 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 another act of terror performed by a white man where Donald Trump just says, let's all just not say anything. Let's all be nice to each other. Let's all hug each other. Uh, and uh, not take any action whatsoever. All of that we will uh, get into with you and your comments. Welcome on Twitter at BP Show. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. We go to the sports desk, Bill, where I am happy to announce that your Los Angeles Dodgers, congratulations to them because they do not have to come to the White House to meet Donald Trump That's because they lost the World Series to the Houston Astros. That is the silver lining. I, look, I'm I'm yeah. I'm putting a positive spin on it for yes, you. Right. That's the right. Astros won the game five to one last night. Here is the final call from KBME in Houston. Tuve has it in short right, throws to first, and the Astros are 2017 World Series champions. 
It's a big win for there the Astros. It's their first World Series win. Congratulations yeah. to George. And the Dodgers blew it. I mean, they were at home. They had the advantage of having won the game before, forcing a game seven. Man, and I thought they looked. Their their big hitters are just fanning the, you know, the ball. Look what happened? Night. I mean, this is what happens in baseball. It, it yeah. doesn't matter how good your your players are if they don't perform. This is what happened to the Nationals. They had a great lineup, and then they didn't. Yeah. They didn't even yeah. make it out of the first round. You know, Bill, I talked to all the bandwagon leaders around the league. <laughs> um, yeah. Because right. every bandwagon that you've hopped on, the team has lost. Yeah. Uh, so they've uh, banned you from jumping <laughs> on all future bandwagons. So you are now officially without a team. Uh, a bandwagon ban? <laughs> a ban? The rare bandwagon ban? <laughs> the rare bandwagon ban. <laughs> My well, we, at one time we uh, we banned Peter Ogburn from going to the Nats games too because every time he went they lost. So, yeah. You know, <laughs> Congratulations to George Springer. He is your World Series MVP. He hit five home runs, eight extra base hits, twenty nine total bases mm. uh, to win the MVP. Also, so. Sports Illustrated predicted this in twenty fourteen. I don't know if any of you saw this, but they had a cover <laughs> in twenty fourteen saying the Astros would be twenty seventeen World Series champions. Get out, really? Yeah. No, for real. Huh. You know, it is interesting. I mean, we, we almost, they really built up a good team and they spent some time working on it. It's kind of like what the Nationals have done. Yeah. Except the Except, right. slightly different <laughs> outcome. Except we can get to the playoffs but not out of the playoffs. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's go to Tampa Bay where there is a neighborhood restaurant called Hampton Station. They serve craft beer and pizza. One thing they don't serve is children. They put a sign on the door that said, no children allowed. allowed. They said that they had two separate incidents in the That's past. That's a real tricky setup, by the way, Peter. Yeah, I know. I know, I know, right. I know, I know. It was on purpose. But the point is, they said they had two separate incidents in the past month that could have gotten them in very, very big trouble because kids were not behaving in the restaurant. And they said, rather than face a potential lawsuit, they're just going to ban children from the restaurant. I think they could have a lawsuit for banning children. On TV and online, this is the Bill Press Show. Yep, they paid in rubles and Facebook didn't even know that they were Russians who were buying all of those ads. Uh, Yes, these are the people whom we consider to be the leading uh, intellects in the country. Uh, Silicon Valley, they've had a great reputation for a long time. It has been kind of destroyed the last couple of days. Hello, everybody. What do you say? Great to see you today on a Thursday, Thursday, November 2nd. This is the Bill Press Show. Welcome to it, and uh, thank you for joining us. We're here with you on YouTube. Look at us, YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. We're here with you nationwide, coast to coast, uh, not just on YouTube, but also on Free Speech TV. Out in the greater Chicago area, hello, WCPT, and all of our good friends out there, as well as our good friends in Indiana on Indiana Talks. With you for the roundup of the news of the day, your comments welcome on Twitter at any time on any topic at BP Show. Uh, and we'll get into it with our guest as well, a great lineup of guests, Larry, Re- Larry Cohen from Our Revolution the big Bernie Sanders grassroots organization. Larry's the uh, uh, the spark plug and the chairman of the board of Our Revolution, former president of the Communica- Communication Workers of America. Uh, that dynamic new freshman member of Congress from Washington State, uh, Pramila Jayapal, uh, will, he'll, will be here in studio with us as well with her thoughts on uh, 
what the Republicans are trying to do to middle-class tax cuts, which is raise them while they lower the taxes taxes on the wealthiest of Americans. Uh, then we'll round it off with Ashley Gold, who's a technology reporter for Politico and knows all about uh, Facebook, the Facebook ads, 3,000 of them plus uh, that they ran, uh, well, 3,000 plus the Rus- ads the Russians ran on Facebook, Twitter, uh, and um, um, what's the other one on Facebook, Twitter, Google. Facebook, so. Twitter, Google. Yeah, all over the place, right. Uh, so lots and lots to talk about. Again, you're going to want to send us your comments, we know, on Twitter, at BP Show. Yeah, the top stories, uh, Donald Trump and his comments on New York. Uh, what is the House doing about the famous bump stock legislation promised after uh, Las Vegas? Um, still a couple of big Hollywood names and a couple more Hollywood names now accused of sexual harassment. And yes, those Facebook ads. Starts in New York. The latest facts are we learned that this uh, uh, this 29, 28, 29-year-old man from uh, Uzbekistan had been planted. It's just diabolical to think about this. Uh, what a twisted mind. He'd been planning this attack for over a year. Um a month or so ago, he rented a Home Depot truck, just like the one that he used on Halloween, uh, and uh, practiced driving it, uh, practiced the very same route that he took, except he didn't go down the bicycle path then, of course, um, to figure out where he'd have to make his turns and where he'd have to make his escape. Uh, and he was actually planning on uh, heading across the Brooklyn Bridge and escaping before he uh, ran into that school bus, which ended uh, his and uh, ended his rampage. Um, but he had he had done practice driving, planned it all out, and then planned it also timed it for Halloween because he figured that Halloween's a national ho- it's not exactly a national holiday, but a lot of people would be out celebrating, taking the day off, uh, and there would be more people uh, on the streets. Uh, he was charged yesterday. Uh, law enforcement moved very fast, of course, to apprehend him. Uh, he was shot in the abdomen. He's still in the hospital uh, talking to law enforcement officers. Uh, federal, the federal attorneys yesterday filed charges against him. He's been accused of mass murder. He will be tried in a civilian court in New York, which, by the way, um, has a very good record of trying um, suspects, of apprehending suspects and bringing them to trial and send it, putting them away forever. I remember the Sheikh, I forget his name, of, of mastermind of the first World Trade Center attack, yeah. which is the truck bomb. I mean, he's rotting away in a federal prison somewhere in the far west. Um, they're, they're, they're known for being fast and tough in dealing with these kinds of incidents. Uh, you would never know that from the comments of Donald Trump. And, of course, that's what's so disgusting about this. And many people have pointed out the contrast between Donald Trump, Las Vegas, and Donald Trump, <coughs> New York City. And another contrast between George W. Bush and Donald Trump uh, and New York City. But we remember a lot of us said, and we said on this program, when we first heard about uh, what happened in Las Vegas and this massacre out there, uh, with 58 people shot and killed from the Mandalay Bay Hotel, some 500 hit and wounded. Uh, well, thank God it wasn't a Muslim. Or if it, if it had been a Muslim, God knows what, what, what we would have said, right? So 
People didn't call that. I don't remember people calling it terrorism, calling it an act of terror. It was domestic terror. It cer- certainly the, the Trump administration and Republicans the, weren't calling it Exactly. <laughs> Good terrorism. point. Good point. Did not. Because it was an old, fat, white man uh, with an arsenal of military weapons who did it. And so that was okay. Not okay, but, I mean, it didn't have the same response. In fact, at the time, Donald Trump said, this is not the time to talk about politics. He said, this is not the time to talk about policy. We'll get around to talking about guns, but not now. This is not the time to talk about policy. And he said, this is a time that we have to bring people together. Went out to Las Vegas, comforted the families of the victims and everything. Contrast that with what he does in New York, where it is a Muslim. So right away, everybody screamed this. White House, everybody. Terrorism, terrorism, New York City, the worst terrorist attack since September 11. Uh, and Donald Trump, rather than bringing people together, uniting people, Donald Trump blames Chuck Schumer, senator from New York, for the attack because this guy came in under a diversity, diversity uh, lottery program uh, and attacked the justice system in New York. That, who, again, responded within 24 hours to file, to throw the book at this guy. And Donald Trump called them a joke. Said they don't do their job. They're too weak. It's a joke, the criminal justice system in New York. Uh, so blames the senator, calls him a joke, and then says, what I want to do is I'd like to send this guy to Gitmo. Uh, I would certainly consider that. Send him to Gitmo. Yeah. Uh, to- total disgusting and uh was roundly condemned by Republican senators, the governor of New York, uh, and the senator uh, from New York. Yeah, so here is, um, well, we just heard Donald Trump saying, uh, send him to New York, and also Donald Trump saying, we're going, here's his rhetoric, right? Um, here's the problem, he says, with us. Uh, we're also politically correct. We have to get much tougher. We have to get much smarter. And we have to get much less politically correct. We're so politically correct that we're afraid to do anything. You know, uh, again, (laughs) it's just hard (laughs) hard to hold your anger at this guy who is really, really going out of his way to politicize this dastardly, despicable attack in New York, leaving... Uh, eight people dead and and some uh, and 11, 11 wounded. Uh, wh- how how did we how did any, this come about? Because people are too politically correct. Of course, you can't ask him to explain that because he can't. It doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense at all. But he says, but trust us, we're going to get this guy, this animal. My administration is coordinating closely between federal and local officials to investigate the attack and to further investigate this animal who did the attacking. Yeah, and that program that he came in under, we're going to get rid of that. And, of course, Donald Trump would have a ban against all Muslims coming into the country, period. I am today starting the process of terminating the diversity lottery program. What's that? (laughs) What's that now? I'm going to ask Congress to immediately initiate work to get rid of this program. Diversity 
Uh, and no. Excuse me. Diversity. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, diversity. Holy crap! <laughs> it's yeah. so perfect that he's right never used the word diversity before. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> because yeah, he and his supporters would prefer a white race to yeah. be yeah. the yeah. only yeah, right. race in this country. Diversity is not in their vocabulary. No, it's not diversity. in diversity. He <laughs> diversity. Yeah, he botched the word, the pronunciation of diversity twice in the twice. same sentence. Right. Right. (laughs) And by the way, so his approach, of course, is to was first to ban all Muslims from coming in. Right. And then when that was shot down by the courts, I just want to make this little point. Then it was to ban all Muslims from seven specific countries, because these are the countries that are breeding terrorists. Right. Uh, Uzbekistan was not on the list. Just want to point that out where this guy came from. Uzbekistan was not one of the seven, which just shows how effective his uh, his approach would be. Uh, And instead, Again, uh, Donald Trump blaming Chuck Schumer for this diversity lottery, uh, saying it was the uh, brainchild, brainchild of uh, Chuck Schumer, and so therefore he's responsible for the terrorist attack. Again, Donald Trump not having his facts right. Uh, it was Chuck Schumer who sponsored this program, which was an attempt to spread the wealth around, if you will, uh, so that not all of our immigrants were coming from, this was back in the 1990s, back in 1990, in fact, uh, when all they didn't want all immigrants coming from one or two countries, they wanted to give other people on the planet a chance. So there was this lottery uh, set up, uh, which was which ended up people believed at the time uh, in a more fair distribution of uh, green cards, um, and that's how this guy got in under that program. The program was initially sponsored by uh, Chuck Schumer in 1990. It was signed into law by a Republican president. It was, first of all, it got through Congress over with overwhelming bipartisan support. It was signed into law by President George H.W. Bush. And then, later on, people realized, including Chuck Schumer, that this program may not be working so well, that what we really needed was comprehensive immigration reform. And so in 2013, Chuck Schumer sponsored a bill to kill the program. Jeff Flake supported Chuck Schumer's bill, senator from Arizona. Guess what? It got through the Senate. It went to the House. House Republicans shot it down. Say it again. House Republicans killed the bill to kill the diversity lottery program. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, either Trump, again, doesn't know his facts or he's just so willing to score a political point that he will just lie and, um, and and, and, and make things up. Um, which, uh, which of course is, is, is what he does, uh, all, all, all the time. Um, so the, the difference is really so noticeable, uh, and so disgusting. When is it an act of terror? It's an act of terror when there's a Muslim involved. If it's a, an American citizen, not considered an act of terror by people like Donald Trump, whose real objective, of course, is a racist a, a, a racist campaign to, or, or an anti-constitutional, unconstitutional campaign to ban any Muslims or from coming into this country no matter where they come from. Uh, at any rate, uh, speaking about Las Vegas, by the way, whatever happened, um, it's interesting, whatever happened to that, um, everybody said, well, the one thing we can agree on is, uh, okay, you can still have assault weapons, but you can't bump them up. Bump stocks, yeah. To be right. machine guns, right? We're going to do something. Remember everybody said, that's the one thing we can agree on. 
No bump stocks. Uh, there is a bump stock bill in the Senate. Uh, Mitch McConnell says he's not even sure he's going to schedule it for a hearing. It's not been scheduled for a hearing so far. Uh, there are, you might be pleased to know, maybe not surprised, there are 40 Democratic senators who have co-sponsored the bump stock legislation. How many Republicans are on as sponsors? Zero. What? Well, I am Zero. shocked. Yeah. This is a story from Huffington Post yesterday from our friend Igor Bobich, Bobich yeah. who says, Bump stock makers resume their sales one month after Las Vegas mass shooting. A leading manufacturer of bump stocks, devices that make semi-automatic weapons function like machine guns, told their customers on Tuesday earlier this week that it is resuming sales of them in limited quantities. So, yeah, we got a real problem here. Sales are back. Congress is doing nothing. Democrats, 40 of them lined up uh, to get this legislation through. Not one Republican co-sponsor. In the Senate. Uh, just one final point uh, that I uh, uh, referred to but didn't really uh, address is the contrast with Donald Trump between Donald Trump and George W. Bush. If you remember after September 11, one of the first things that George W. Bush did is invite Chuck Schumer and Hillary Clinton to the White House. Yeah. The two senators from New York and said, We stand with the people of New York. You know, we're sorry for what happened. Uh, we identify with you. What can we do to help? I mean, really, really showing uh, leadership uh, at the time. Uh, instead, Donald Trump attacks the senator from New York, Chuck Schumer, and holds him responsible for it. I have to tell you, I thought uh, uh, Schumer himself uh, responded. He took the high road yesterday. Uh, he just said that rather than jump into the gutter, uh, with with Donald Trump, uh, just saying this is this is not the time to politicize an event like this, Chuck Schumer. Uh, sorry, okay, we'll, uh, pull pull that up, Chuck Schumer. Got it. All President Trump yeah. does is take advantage, horrible advantage, of a tragedy and try to politicize and divide. It doesn't work with New Yorkers. It doesn't work with Americans. And what he ought to do, Chuck Schumer says, is put down the damn phone. The president ought to stop tweeting and start leading. The American people long for leadership, not divisiveness, not finger pointing, not name calling. Yep. Governor, uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo yesterday from New York, uh, who always has his problems with Chuck Schumer and Bill de Blasio, uh, but still uh, speaking out yesterday again, saying, this is not what we need to hear from the president of the United States at this time. The president's tweets, I think, were not helpful. Um, I don't think they were factual. I think they tended to point fingers and politicize the situation. Yep, indeed. That, that by the way, you could apply that to just about any situation that Donald Trump has faced as president. Totally, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, meanwhile, yesterday, um, we thought we were going to get the, remember, the um, uh, tax cuts, uh, the tax cut bill that Donald Trump promised it, that the House was going to deliver it yesterday. Uh, they met Tuesday night, still trying to figure out what's in this bill. We haven't seen a bill yet again. Uh, Donald Trump yesterday saying he wanted to be called the Cut, Cut, Cut Act. Yeah. <laughs> this is sort of classic uh, Trump uh, vocabulary. The Cut, Cut, Cut Act. Yeah. 
But what that means is cut, 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 cut taxes for the wealthiest of Americans and for the big corporations, nothing for the middle class. Uh, but whatever you call it, uh, we didn't see it yesterday, and we're not going to see it today either. Nobody knows if and when this bill is ever going to come out, if and when they'll ever agree on what's going to be in it, because they got a real problem that, Peter, you pointed out yesterday. They can't figure out how to pay for it. And so what they're looking at, they can't, they, they have to give the, the, the wealthiest a tax cut. They have to give the big corporations a tax cut. So they're trying to figure out ways that they can make the middle class pay for it. And, of course, they're considering things such as limiting the amount of money that we're allowed to put in our 401ks, uh, taking away the home mortgage deduction that we, most of us have enjoyed uh, and maybe the only loophole, if you will, that we have in the middle class, uh, or um, the, the other way uh, w- would, would be to give do away with the um, state and local the write-off for state and local taxes that you pay, being able to subtract that from your federal income tax, all of which would really slam the middle class. So they can't agree on this. They can't agree on how they're going to pay for it. No bill has uh, come forward. Yesterday, uh, yes, at the White House, Donald Trump said, we'll see it today. Sometime tomorrow, we'll be announcing massive tax cuts and reform. Not just tax cuts, it's tax cuts, which to me is the most important, but it'll be tax cuts and reform. Well, actually, later in the day, then uh, House Republicans said, no, we're not quite ready for tomorrow. Maybe Friday. Maybe Friday. Uh, We'll see. We'll see. And Donald Trump, of course, saying the other day, still, he wanted the House to pass a bill by Thanksgiving and the Senate to do so by Christmas so he can sign it before the end of the year. Uh, one, <laughs> uh, the, the, the other big issue that I just still find so fascinating is the Senate Judiciary Committee yesterday with the leaders of Facebook, Google, and Twitter in front of them on this issue of the ads that the Russians ran during the 2016 campaign. It's amazing. There were 3,000-some ads and Peter, you've seen them. I saw them. Uh, yeah. We looked at them yesterday. Just Google them, and you'll see these are ads where they pretend to be uh, supporters of Black Lives Matter. They pretend to be supporters of Bernie Sanders. You know, they didn't spend a lot of money on these ads, but they would put them up, and the ads might. They, some of them were really clever. Yeah, and they would catch fire. And then people would retweet them, you know, all around. This is one of the things we were talking about earlier in our, our meeting before the show. Ray was pointing out some of these ads, they only spent like 50, 50 bucks. bucks. Yeah. But <clears throat> if they're done well, yeah, that Pe- 50 bucks will go a long, because long Because people way. like them and they send them to their friends. You got to look at this. <clears throat> boom, boom, boom. Right. There are some 3,000 ads reaching, they now say, Facebook says, 126 million people which really had an impact because these were so, they were cleverly, not openly pro-Trump, but cleverly designed to get people to question Hillary Clinton and maybe take another look at Donald Trump. And um, they were, and then Facebook and Google and Twitter now say they had no idea that these were coming from Russian hackers or from Russian uh, operatives, even though, as Al Franken pointed out, they were paid for in rubles. Don't you think that might be the first clue? That Uh, that would tip me off. I mean, how 
you wouldn't have to be very smart, it seems to me, right, to see something, a payment coming in rubles and know where that came from. But apparently all these brilliant people at Facebook did not know. Diane Feinstein, a blistering, blistering comment uh, on the leadership of the, uh, the, the software companies, uh, all of whom, of course, come from her state, our state of California. I must say, I don't think you get it. I think the fact that you're general counsels, you defend your company, that what we're talking about is a cataclysmic change. What we're talking about is the beginning of cyber warfare. What we're talking about is a major foreign power with the sophistication and ability to involve themselves in a presidential election and so conflict and discontent all over this country. That's exactly what it is. It yeah. is cyber warfare. And re- remember, uh, this is the absolute fact of Russia interfering in this election. All 17 intelligence agencies confirmed that that's exactly what they were doing in order to throw the election to Donald Trump. And now we've seen the evidence of the ads that they ran as part as part of that effort. There was also the hacking of the uh, the DNC emails and all of that other stuff. And yet to this day, Donald Trump has still not condemned the Russians for trying to interfere in our election, no matter who won, no matter the outcome. Just the fact that they were there interfering in our election, Donald Trump has still never said anything about it. In fact, he denies it ever happened and certainly denies that he had anything to do with it. Uh, but I think this whole and so unless we take this seriously, there's a question about whether we could ever have another legitimate election in this country, right? I mean, how can you, yeah, trust our election no, process? That's fair to say. How can you trust our election process if we don't slam the door to foreign interference? We either do something or we just accept the fact that our democracy has been completely hacked, right? Uh, You will also, uh, finally, um, appreciate the fact that the White House made it clear yesterday uh, in response to a question uh, from um, uh, White House reporter April Ryan, um, Sarah Sanders, yes, putting it on the record for sure that uh, Donald Trump does not, despite the comments of Chief of Staff John Kelly, uh, that the Civil War could have been avoided if only the Northerners would have been able to compromise on slavery. Sarah Huckabee Sanders making it clear that this White House, Donald Trump, does not believe in slavery. What an exchange at the briefing yesterday. Does this administration believe, does this president believe slavery was wrong? And before you answer, Mary Frances Berry, a historian, said in 1860 there was a compromise. The compromise was to have Southern states keep slavery but the Confederacy fired on Fort Sumter that caused the Civil War. And because of the Civil War, what happened? The North won. I think it is disgusting and absurd to suggest that anyone inside of this building would support slavery. There you go. Really? Anytime, yes. So this is... This is uh, really? Uh, We're back right, here again? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So go, ahead, Sarah, go ahead and fire Stephen Miller at this point, I guess. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, Sarah Sanders' favorite word. Anytime you question now anything that John Kelly says or Donald Trump says, I think it's disgusting to suggest that, right? Disgusting to suggest that Donald Trump was politicizing the terrorist attack in New York. Yes. I think it is disgusting and... 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, Listen man. It is disgusting. Hey, how's that resistance going? We're going to talk next to a man who's right in the leadership of it in the catbird seat at Our Revolution. Our good friend Larry Cohen, chairman of Our Revolution, bring us up to date on some of the exciting races uh, around the country and some of the exciting issues that we're dealing with. Coming up next, quick break. Back with Larry Cohen. Diversary and diversity. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hey, here we go, The Bill Press Show. It is Thursday, Thursday, um, the 2nd of November. Uh, Great to see you today. We're coming to you live from our nation's capital. With you coast to coast, wherever you happen to be in this great land of ours, we're right there alongside of you. From our studio on Capitol Hill, uh, and we're brought to you today by the United Steelworkers. Uh, and their, you know, in- international president, a great labor leader, Leo Girard. The United Steelworkers, North America's largest industrial union, representing over 1.2 million active and retired members. We salute them, thank them for the support of the program, and welcome another great labor leader here to the studio, now head of our, chairman of the board of Our Revolution, Larry Cohen, former president of the CWA. You, I'm sure, worked with Leo Gerard on a lot of issues. Oh, yeah, issues. great friend. He's a great guy, isn't he? Yeah, he's a wonderful guy. He's exceptional. One of the, one of the most colorful uh, people on the air. Uh, he's also know. really smart. Really smart, yeah. And a great fighter, great organizer. Yeah, and his roots, lady. his family roots in Canada, you know, quite something. His father was quite something. Uh, how are things going Special with the resistance? Guy. Is it alive and well? Yeah, well, our thing is beyond resistance. In other words, what are we working towards? can't just be about fighting Trump. Uh, it has to be, what are we fighting for? And Good. Yeah, lots of breakthroughs on that and lots of good organizing going on. Well, uh, and I know you've been in before, and but just bring us back up to date. There have been some remarkable successes, uh, particularly state legislative races, mayor's races. Uh, last time, I think, uh, Nina Turner, president of our revolution, was in yeah. the day after the new mayor of Birmingham was. Uh, Woodfin. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that elected. was a great success, not only because he won, but because... Um, the 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 Our Revolution group there in Birmingham, you know, that worked actively in the campaign, grew and got stronger. So I think part of our message really is not just about candidates. They're going to come and go. They're going to follow their own path, their own opportunities. It's almost like a career. Um, but how do we build sustained organizations that work with people in a community, that recruit people, that organize, and then candidates are accountable back to that group, including the mayor of Birmingham but also that it, it continually spawns new organizing, new candidates, uh, new issue development, different kind of model in that way. The attention is always on the candidates. But right. for me, most exciting one, Paul Feeney won a special election as in, to the state Senate in Massachusetts, uh, replaced uh, a very conservative Democrat in a swing district. So traditional uh, thinking would have been, continues to be for many Democrats, well, this is a conservative swing district, yeah, yeah. and Feeney is one of us. He's 39 years old. He's uh, a technician at Verizon. He's a leader in the IBW, which happens to have those Verizon workers, but worked with CWA forever. Was Bernie's campaign chair in Massachusetts, 
and then uh, also after that, Rhode Island and Connecticut um, did an amazing job there in Massachusetts. He's just he he uh, seconded Bernie's nomination at the convention last year. Anyway, he won in that election. He won the primary, uh, then won the general, and uh, was sworn in yesterday. And you know, wow. yeah. that's what this is about for me. I mean, that's what sustains me. It's it's the Paul Feenies, the Randall Woodfins, Christine Pellegrinos. The list goes on and on. Next Tuesday. Uh, while Vincent Ford is our sort of big headliner running for mayor in Atlanta, and that's a very tough race, lots of people running. Um, I'm just as excited about city council races in Somerville and Cambridge, Massachusetts, where I think mm-hmm. our folks who come right out of our groups, they're actually activists in our groups, are going to sweep, uh, are going to win big in their elections. Um, and, you know, these are medium cities, 150,000 people, but this is how we produce change. This is how we model What's new politics in America really mean? Uh, and you allude to the fact that our revolution, your, your, your um, what formula is to have these groups uh, either citywide or statewide all over the country. How many yeah. now? So uh, there's 490 that are registered groups whoa, in the U.S. and then there's 10 in other countries. I just took yeah. off for a week in Paris. Had a great meeting with our revolution, Paris. That's a good 70 excuse people for going showed to up. Paris for a week. <laughs> yeah, well, I paid my yeah. own way. Let me be clear on that. But... <laughs> you didn't invite me to go with you. We you had 19 scum. people join at that meeting, which is another part of our strategy, whether it's yeah. Paris or Birmingham. Very easy to join. You show up at an event, you join, you donate any amount of money, you join, and then it's a question of the group leadership engaging you as a new yeah. member to get things done. Yeah, it's a group-centric model uh, that means, you know, we're not going to claim we're going to change the Congress or change the country. We're going to claim that we're helping people organize in their communities and through that, uh, much deeper and sustained change if we pull it off. You are still a member of the DNC. The DNC just had its a big um, convention or whatever meeting in Las Vegas uh, where there's a lot of action going. And on the DNC front, before we hear more about that meeting, uh, former temporary DNC chair Donna Brazil is out with a new book today uh, where she has some. It's so called. That's the name of her book, Hacks. Hacks. Uh, there were a lot of hacks at, at the DNC, as we know. But she makes some. Some pretty strong comments, Peter. Yeah, here here's a couple of highlighted uh, points from her book where she writes, quote, I had tried to search out any other evidence of internal corruption that would show that the DNC would rigging the system to throw the primary to Hillary, but I could not find any in, in party affairs among the staff. I had gone department by department investigating individual conduct for evidence of skewed decisions. I was happy to see that I found none. Then I found this agreement. The funding arrangement with HFA... And the victory fund agreement was not illegal, but it sure looked unethical. If the fight had been fair, one campaign would not have control of the party before the voters had decided which one they wanted to lead. This was not a criminal act, but as I saw it, it compromised the party's integrity. So she goes on and essentially says the Clinton campaign rigged the primary with, quote, internal corruption and, quote, unethical finances. Larry, how shocking. <laughs> you and I, Bernie bros, to find out that, in fact, everything we were saying was true, that the DNC rigged this primary, tried to, to well, did, toward Hillary Clinton. Yeah, so I know Donna well um, and think lots of the criticism of her is, in fact, not fair. Um, she apologized for what she did do in terms of feeding questions as somebody who was working at CNN. Correct. But I heard this from her uh 
repeatedly, actually. Yeah. Uh, right around the convention time when she became be, acting chair. And to be clear, as people, in case people don't remember, she was not at the DNC. She was brought into the DNC after all these problems came out, uh, to, just as a temporary chair. And that's when she discovered. And I remember because I was alongside of her on every one of those panels at CNN or, or most of them, where you know Donna said we were saying the DNC's trying to tilt this election and Donna said no 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 they're not I believe them no they're not she just, and she gets there and she discovers just the opposite yeah and to be fair she was vice chair vice chair she right. was one of the vice chairs there's several yeah. these are all non-paid positions and and until now the chair wasn't paid Wasserman Schultz did not get paid mm-hmm. um, Perez Tom Perez is paid two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year uh, there's a whole thing about making it. Uh, in any case, after she became interim chair, uh, I did talk to her a lot as, you know, a Bernie campaign leader and then the vice chair of this Unity Reform Commission, you know, named by the convention to that position. Uh, and she repeatedly, you know, I mean, she was not happy with, with this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she had to manage it in a certain way because of the election and, and her own role there, which had been compromised. So we know there was this um, uh, this division in the primary uh, between the Bernie folks like us and the Hillary folks, and the DNC was clearly on one side and not on the other. After the primary is over, unity is the key word. Unity before the election and unity after the election. Is there unity at the DNC today? So I would say the key word is reform. So the one of the key outcomes of the convention was the Unity Reform Commission, which I'm the vice chair, you know, right. named in the right. resolution. Uh, and people talk to me about unity, and I say, well, it's deliberate that the name of this is Unity Reform. There's only unity if there's reform, and uh, that's not going to change. So if you work at South Capitol Street, you know, you have to work in a certain way there. That's where the DNC is based. On the other hand, what I like to say all the time is there are 57 independent Democratic parties and and those 57 parties collectively make up 80% of the DNC, the leadership of the committee itself. That's forgotten all the time. It's discussed as if it's some monolith on South Capitol Street. Hmm. The chair, Tom Perez now, did get to nominate a slate. That's all it was, nominate a slate of 75 at-large members. That's out of 447, uh, except for 39 others who are there based on other positions that they hold. Uh, the rest of them... Uh, you know, some uh, 350 are there because of some kind of a, quote, selection or election process in their state party or D.C. or Puerto mm-hmm. Rico, 57 of them. And that is, whether we like it or not, that's the core of what the Democratic Party is. It's those 57 parties. What are they doing? My opinion, uh, they have a long way to go. Uh, my opinion, we focus way too much on South Capitol Street. So those of us who are interested in change need to dig in. This is why our revolution is group-centered, grassroots. If we don't do that, we're just going to be commenting the rest of our lives. We're not going to be changing anything. But this unity, I, I, I love, love the fact, I, maybe it's based on the fact that this commission, your committee is called Unity Reform, because yeah. the two are, right, right. They're, they're <laughs> one not going to get unity without reform. Exactly. But so... You were charged with taking a look at this delegate selection process, right? Yep. The nomination process, and maybe recommending some. Are you at that point to recommend? Yeah. Changes? Well, on December eighth and ninth, we will vote. That's our fifth public meeting. We will vote on a series of options, action options. 
And yeah, I'm confident that um, particularly in terms of the nominating process, significant change, not the least of which is two-thirds of the 715 superdelegates, two-thirds of them will be bound to their state votes, uh, no longer able to exercise uh, independent judgment. Now, the DNC itself is going to have to uh, support that directly or indirectly, meaning the, 700, the 447 right. people yeah. that make it up. But that's a major change. Also, major changes in primary process, which to some extent is regulated by state law, caucus process, which the 57 parties where they have a caucus directly control, and uh, to a lesser extent, although it's there, uh, changes. It's called party reform. We have four buckets. The fourth one is party reform, the party itself, how it's structured, how it operates. So, yeah, I'm confident that this commission, and we have eight out of 21, came were named by Bernie Sanders, 10 named by Clinton, and three named by Perez. So even though it's split that way, I'm confident that this group will come together on a number of changes, not on everything that somebody like me might want or somebody like came from one of the other places might want, but on enough uh, that it means real reform that can be a basis of real unity, not total unity. It's supposed to be a political party. People forget that. Everywhere in the world, political parties is where you go. You argue. I mean, even like you and I, who agree on 99% of the world, we learn from each other. We argue. We debate. A party yep. is not supposed to be a rubber stamp. That's the problem with the Democratic Party that never had a vote for the twelve, the first 12 years. This is 13th year that I've been on the DNC. Never had a vote for those 12 years. God. Never had a discussion in public for 12 years. Amazing. That's not a political party. That's no. not what the Labor Party looks like in the UK. That's not like the political parties that I just saw in France or Brazil or South Africa. It's supposed to be about internal debate, discussion, and then you go outside. Right. Who's the leader of the Democratic Party today? Well, the leader of the titular party is, is Tom Perez. Who's the there leader? There are many leaders out there. <laughs> Obviously, uh, for me, uh, it's Bernie Sanders, who is accountable to uh, the the progressive side of the Democratic Party. But there's many leaders of the party and many people who want to lead it, meaning run for president in 2020. Um, but, you know, the titular leader, and I respect him. I knew him as labor secretary quite well, is Tom Perez, very smart guy. But, you know... There's these pushes and pulls, and our job, grassroots folks, is to make the grassroots the center of the party, not symbolically. Everybody says that in reality. You, you, know, you, t- you t- by the way, yeah, you talk about all these people running for president. Yeah, uh, it's so funny to watch them sort of pull these calisthenics to try and have a message that's similar to what Bernie had in 2016. Right? Like there are a couple of people who have credibility on these issues. Elizabeth Warren, I think. Bernie certainly is Jeff one Merkley. of them. Jeff Merkley. But there are a couple of people who are like r- talking about running for president who are now moving really far away from that message of Hillary Clinton and really trying to grab the the Bernie Sanders message. It's pretty funny to watch. But but not authentically so. Not in, authentically in, so. No, in, very in, yeah, in exactly. many cases, right. Yeah, and a lot of it is about follow the money, which you know sociologists figured out 50 years ago. And when they rely on corporate and the money from the one-tenth of one percent to run, it can't be authentic. Uh, It's not their fault. We have a faulty system, but part of the problem about unity and reform in the party is uh, to say to the big money people, if you want to support us, it's great. If you want to run our agenda, that's a disaster. That's what we have been learning as we lost 1,100 state legislative seats, lost a majority in the House, the Senate, and the White House. That's what we've been learning. Mm -hmm. So if you want to support us, that's great. But your control of this party is a death sentence. Uh, and it's, yeah, proven that. Proven that. Right. Uh, I want to ask you about another, one other thing on the unity reform. 
I'm, I'm not sure you mentioned this, closed primaries. Yeah. Uh, which that'll, I that'll, be, that'll be opposed by the Unity Reform Commission. It will, yeah. Yeah, the problem is, so New York is the worst case. To vote in next yeah, year's right. New York primary, September 11th, 2018, you ha- and you were, if you were an independent, there are 2.6 million independents in New York, you had to change your party registration on October 13th, two weeks ago of this year, before this general election, That's 25 awesome. days before the general election, to vote in the primary the following September. It's a disgrace. We just spent an hour on that. We had the co-director of the New York Board of Elections appointed by the governor an hour on Skype at our Las Vegas meeting, Unity Reform Commission. Not one of the 21 people, regardless of how they got on that commission, think that's defensible. It's a disgrace. And we say to Governor Cuomo, don't talk. Change what you're doing. Because what you're doing is not a model for this country. He could do that, too, couldn't he? Yeah, right. I mean, he'd do it with yeah. uh, the, right. the Senate right. and the Assembly, where we have a majority. But he's been fine up until now, with eight Democrats in the Senate caucusing with the Republicans. Yeah. They call themselves the Independent Democratic Caucus. They're a disgrace. They need to be primaried. And, uh, and we need to change the way elections work in New York. All right. There it is. Andrew Cuomo, are you listening? Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I remember raising hell uh, last year about that. We lost the, a million votes the, in that primary. In the New York primary. Yeah. yeah. You talk about a scam. 200,000 are now admitted by the Board of Elections that they illegally threw out 200,000 voters. Why was the poll for Bernie Sanders in New York 4% spread for Clinton? It's our home state, everything else. And why does he end up losing by 16%? This is the rigged election. They legally rigged the election. It was totally rigged in New York. It's rigged next year for the gubernatorial primary. It's rigged for opposing those uh, those independent Democratic caucus. Most Five of the eight live in New York City. These are overwhelmingly Democratic rigged districts. This mm. is what East Coast Democratic Party, I grew up with Frank Rizzo as the leader of the Democratic Party in, in Philadelphia, Philadelphia, where he yeah. literally clubbed us as police commissioner. And people tell me, oh, it's all about Democrats, Democrats. And I say to them, you know, I grew up fighting Frank Rizzo as a young kid in high school. I'll never forget what that was like. That was within the Democratic Party. It's not about the party first. It's about a message. How do we bring that message to the American people? How do we stay authentic and true to it? And how do we reform the party so we can create unity based on real change? That's what this is about. Have you, as chair of the uh, uh, Our Revolution, had a chance to take a look at the what the president calls, what Donald Trump, I hate to call him the president, what Donald Trump calls the cut, cut, cut tax plan? Sure. Yeah, and in fact, uh, we're trying to encourage our groups in key Republican districts. So there, the, the House vote now, it turns out, is going to be more of the pivotal vote than the Senate vote because it's, the it's, senators have all fallen in line. And in the House, because uh, not for the right reasons, mm-hmm. but because uh, of, the, of the limits that are going to be in that announcement, almost certainly on state and uh, property tax, uh, local property tax and state income tax deductibility, um, a bunch of the House members uh, in states like New Jersey, there's only a few there, New York, um, these East Coast and California, yeah. uh, are the swing voters. Where they and have so, high, high state taxes. Yeah, and yeah. so to stop an overall disgrace, a huge giveaway to the one-tenth of one percent, uh, the repeal of the state taxes alone. Right now, you don't pay a state taxes under $5 million. They're going to repeal it altogether, and they totally lie about why that's a good thing, meaning the Republican side. It's yeah. a good thing for them because that's their donor base, and that's who they are. And so, but anyway, to stop that deal, it's going to hinge on real pressure, the grassroots pressure on key house districts in New Jersey, in New York, in California, and, and other, uh, other key states where they are vulnerable and they know it 
not so much on the overall issue, which is the real problem, but on limiting or eliminating um, property tax and state income tax deductibility. That's a huge issue. Uh, and uh, if we're going to stop it, that's how we're going to stop it. And all we hear, the rhetoric we hear from Mitch McConnell, Paul Ryan, Donald Trump is um, that their goal is and their whole their whole program is all about tax cuts for the middle class. Is there any? I, I, I yeah, well, here's seen... their big lie. Their big lie is that yeah. when you give more money to the rich and to corporate America, they invest it. It's trickle down supply side economics. It's Milton Friedman. It's 40 years old. It's bullshit. If I'm allowed to say that on here, probably I'm not. You just did. Uh, so I apologize if I'm not allowed to say it. Leo Gerard will be happy, but no one else. Um, and it hasn't worked. So the demand side of the economy, people getting a raise, hasn't occurred in my whole working lifetime. That's a long time. Since the 70s, working class people have not had a raise in real dollar terms after inflation. If you don't have... The demand side of an economy that's 80% consumer driven, if the demand side is not rising, you can dump all the money you want on the supply side. They're not going to invest because the demand isn't there. And and that is the major contradiction in what they always say. And they lie about it, whether, you know, and, and I know we don't have enough time to dive into it deeply, yeah, but, but they lie about it on every level, including, oh, we're going to repeal the inheritance tax. That's right. great for people who work for billionaires. That's yeah, their sure. line. Sure. But I mean, they, they're still using that line, and it has never proven true. And 30% right? of the American people believe the tax cut is good for them. That speaks volumes. The problem is, for the Republican Party and who their donor base is, it is good for them, and they're going to drive this no matter what the American people think. Is Trump right in trying to get rid of NAFTA? Well, part of Trump—so so part of what Trump said, this is his nationalism, is true. We should care first about American workers. We have never done that. Uh, the Obama trade policy, Michael Froman, uh, and even before him, my opinion, a total disgrace. I said this directly to the president for eight years, lost every time, my point of view. Um, it was a disgrace, the Clinton trade deal, a disgrace. It's part of the reason Hillary Clinton lost. She started out defending uh, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. It was her State Department and that NAFTA. launched, right. and NAFTA from her husband's time. But the TPP was her State Department that launched the right. framework for the TPP when she was Secretary of State. It's been a disaster for Democrats, except for Democratic donors. This is where they overlap. So Trump, in the campaign, clearly said American workers don't count in our trade policy. He's right. He got probably 10 percent of his votes that way, not the majority. Mm -hmm. But those are our voters on the margin switching over, over. like at Carrier in Indianapolis, where I saw them face to face, fed up with their jobs being traded away for some geopolitical advantage in the mind of the State Department that people like you and I don't agree with anyway. But they're fed up with geopolitics coming ahead of their own jobs and then getting a bunch of stuff. I won't call it what I did before. <laughs> uh, said to them, you're going to be retrained. Right. You're going to have new jobs. Never happens. They end yeah. up at McDonald's and greeters at Walmart. Right. Uh, <laughs> guys on a roll today. Uh, Larry Cohen from uh, Our Revolution, OurRevolution.com. And uh, I know you talk to Bernie often. Have you uh, advised him uh, and encouraged him to run for president in 2020 again? Uh, so Bernie doesn't take advice in a normal way, as you well know. <laughs> yes, Ber we, Bernie listens we very well, and then he decides. I would never say should, I give him advice except on smaller things. What do you think? Should he um, run? Yeah, I think absolutely he should run. Uh, I, you know, I think in his mind he's running for the Senate. He's running right. to be an amazing leader of the country, which is different than running for president. So I think he's very intentional about trying to lead the country in a different direction and leading us 
in a different direction and inspiring us. I think for himself, rightly so, his own decision, you know, will come sometime around a year from now. Whether and it won't be as late as it was the last time, uh, uh, May of uh, 2015, you know, meaning 2019. It'll be sometime this time next year. Uh, my opinion is when he'll decide. And and yeah, I would I definitely encourage him to run. Uh, Twenty. You think he'll announce as early as 2018 this time? Yeah. The end of 2018. Uh, right after he wins re-election. Correct. Yeah, around that time. Yes, around this time. There you go. There we go. Heard it here. But I'm not day. saying that he'll do that. I'm yeah. saying that if he does decide to run, it will be. It won't be the spring of 2019. It'll be earlier. All right. So if you haven't yet signed up with any of the local branch of our revolution, not yet involved, uh, go to the website. Join. Join a group. Start a group. Any ten members can start a new group. At ourrevolution.com. Thanks, Larry. Thanks Terrific for what you're doing. Terrific being with you. Great show. Give this them hell. Is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And uh, the world champions are not the Los Angeles Dodgers. Ah, uh, yeah, two more, but congratulations, Houston, I guess. What do you say, folks? It is the Bill Press Show on a Thursday, November 2nd. Uh, so great to see you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Wherever you are in the United States of America and around, in fact, around the world, we are there with you. Uh, and good to see you today because we've got lots to talk about, as always. We'll bring you up to date on the latest on the tax cuts, the latest on uh, Donald Trump attacking, not standing with the people of New York, attacking uh, the people of New York and saying we're going to throw that animal, he calls him, to Gitmo. Uh, And yes, the um, Republicans who promised uh, their tax cut plan uh, by yesterday didn't deliver. Today are not going to deliver. Now they're saying maybe Friday Maybe never at all. Cut, uh, cut, cut. Cut, cut, <laughs> cut, right. All across the board, the news of the day uh, will uh, bring you up to date and look forward to hearing from you what you think about it all, what it means to you. Uh, send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. Uh, and the good Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal from Washington, 7th District, will be joining us in this uh, first half hour of the second hour. But first, this is the Peter Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. You just mentioned there that the Houston Astros won the World Series last night it. in Game 7. A remarkable World Series. And the Houston Astros will get their World Series rings. But they are not the only people who earned rings last night. The girlfriend of Astros shortstop Carlos Correa got an engagement ring. After they won the mm. game last night, he proposed to his girlfriend... 
Uh, what her, if they had lost? I don't know. That's a good question. He just it, wouldn't do it at the ballpark. Uh, yeah, probably. He would just do it later. His, his girlfriend, Daniela Rodriguez, a former Miss Texas, showed off her engagement ring after he dropped mm-hmm. to one knee and proposed after they won the World Series. So uh, Here's the thing. Go ahead. Is this acceptable? Because fans doing it at sporting events, I think is – I don't think you should do it at a sporting event. Because if she says Why? no, the – you just, she says you're no, so it's humiliated. Bad. It's awful in front of like ten thousand people. How many say no? It's a lot. Hap- oh, it's happened. A lot it's no. happened plenty of times. I it's mean, for us, it's the it's great content, right, on the internet. Yeah, look, I, I want to be clear. I'm all for it. I think people should do it just so that we can watch the terrible videos of people. But I think denied. if you're an athlete who's just won a championship, I'm okay with it. I'll put it this way: if you're going to propose uh, on a stage like that. You better make damn sure that you're going to get the answer you want. Right. So. Uh, yes. It's just like sort of, you know, if you are like a member of Congress, you don't take your bill in front of a committee unless you know what the votes know are going to be. Are. There you go. <laughs> know, what the votes are. know what the votes are going to be. Uh, the New York City Marathon is coming up in just a couple of weeks. Simon Wheatcraft is a man who's going to be uh, running yes. it. This man is going to be running it. Of the Wheatcraft clan. Of the Wheatcraft clan. Uh, Simon. I'm Simon, sorry, I don't know the Wheatcraft clan. It's not clan. a thing. It's not a thing. Simon is going to be running as a blind runner with no assistance. Now, blind runners have run marathons before, but they get someone to help them sort of call out obstacles along their way and other runners. But he is using a new device, a piece of technology that has an armband that uses GPS and he met small vibrations, which will let him win to turn left or right. Wow. And so he's going to run an entire marathon blind and using only an armband to help him figure out which way. But to I would run. also, first of all, that's remarkable. It's amazing. Um, totally remarkable. But um, wouldn't you, couldn't you, there are a lot of footsteps around him. I mean, he's not going to be the only person on the street. You think sure. you could follow the footsteps, too? Follow the sound. Of, I mean, no? you could, you could. I guess that would help. Point, that think. would help. I, I think know. you're gonna need more than that. And yeah, I think I yes mean, is the answer. That would be helpful, but I think you. The other thing yeah, is, I you gotta know when to him. stop. <laughs> Just I mean, keep running until someone know, says stop. I know. <laughs> you're done. No, <laughs> you don't have to run 35 miles. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. Uh, The Facebook didn't even know they were Russians, even though they paid in rubles. (laughs) Yeah, and these guys are supposed to be so smart out there in Silicon Valley. What do you say? Hello, everybody. Great to see you today. And you're looking good as we come to you live all across this great country of ours, coast to coast on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. That's us, The Bill Press Show. We're looking at you on Free Speech TV and, uh, oh man, Chicago. You're coming through loud and strong today on WCPT in the greater Chicago area. Thanks so much for joining us with uh, such a busy day here in Washington, D.C., and so much uh, to talk about, which is why we are particularly pleased to welcome uh, back to the studio our good friend, from the left coast, uh, from Washington State's 7th Congressional District, 
uh, Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal. Hello, Congresswoman. Hello, Bill. Good Wonderful to, see, to you. see you. Everything good? Everything is good. Keeping up Just, with the madness, right? Uh, yes, uh, kind of. Trying to. Maybe. <laughs> we haven't seen a bill on the tax plan, but yeah, we're trying to keep up with it. we got a big... Yeah. Big couple now, weeks ahead um, of us. What's coming up election-wise this year in Washington State? Well, is we that... have a really important state Senate race. That's what I um, thought. 45th right. Legislative District. And, in fact, the woman that's running is an Indian American that I was on the board of a domestic violence organization 20 years ago with. Huh. Um, huh. Yeah. She is doing a great job. If she wins, Manka Dingra, if she wins, we take Democrats take control of the Senate again. And then we have the House, the Senate, and the governor um, and so mm. it's a big deal. It's a yeah. really, really big deal. And they've poured a ton of money into the race um, on the Republican side. You know, the person a she's running Senate against. Race. It's a state Senate race. The person she's running against actually used to work for Kathy McMorris Rogers, for Dino Rossi. She was recruited by Dino Rossi, who's now running in the um, in the 8th Congressional District for Dave Reichert's seat. Dave Reichert is stepping down. Mm-hmm. So... Um, you know, they recruited this this woman. Um, she's Korean-American, extremely conservative, um, has been trying to distance herself from Trump and from everything he's been saying. But in fact, um, you know, is, is is spouting the same party line. So I think we have a very good shot of winning that race. Right. Um, and I know he's uh, she right that has been supported by all of the progressive organizations around the country. I mean, this is a, yes. just a real key and just emphasizes again how important the state legislative races are this year and next year getting ready for 2020. Because, yeah. And, and having lost 1,100 or close yeah. to it yeah. seats in the last eight years, we've got to get a lot of those back. And, That's right. And, and and it's a place where I think we really are seeing, um, you know, immediate results yes, in a lot of yes. these state legislative races. We've been winning. Um, Oklahoma, and, yeah, Iowa. Exactly. Yeah. And we've got some exciting candidates, you know, because it's it's easier. You know, I do a lot of work trying to recruit diverse candidates in uh, mm-hmm. diverse progressive candidates. So women, folks of color who have a really strong progressive agenda. And um, it's much easier at the local level to run and win um, than it is, say, at the congressional level. And we're we're working on the congressional level is too, don't get me wrong, but these are the kinds of races that actually help us in those uh, in those other higher level of races as well. Because, for example, the 45th has a big part of it that's in the 8th Congressional District, and there are a lot of Indian Americans in that district, mm. and they're turning out for the first time oh. because they have a candidate that they yeah. feel is talking to them and comfortable with them and will advocate for you know some of the things that they're that they're interested in. All right. So in, at the, in the House yesterday, we were supposed to see uh, Donald Trump promised us we would see the Republican uh, tax cut plan. Um, nobody really calls it tax reform anymore. It's not tax reform. It's no, the it's, it's the tax giveaways to the wealthiest and the corporations. That's, right, that's that's what the plan is. I think that sums it up. We didn't see it yesterday. I don't know whether we're going to see it today. Now Donald Trump says maybe tomorrow. But from what you have seen of it so far, what do you think? It's bad. It's horrible. It's it's the same agenda they've had since they got in. It's what healthcare was about. Their their healthcare bill was not a healthcare bill. It was a transfer of wealth to the wealthiest from the middle class um, and lower income folks. And that's what this this bill is too. Eighty percent from what we've seen, eighty mm-hmm. percent of the tax cuts go to the top one percent. 
if you are in the top one-tenth of one percent, you will get a million dollars tax cut every year. If you are in the top one percent, you'll get a two hundred and seven thousand dollar tax cut every year, and Give three quarters. Again, so the top one tenth of one percent. Top one tenth of one percent. You get a million. We'll get dollars. a million bucks. Bingo! You just every won year. the lottery every yeah. year. And the um, top one percent will get a two hundred and seven thousand dollar tax cut every year. And if you are uh, in the middle class, you will see three quarters of middle class families will see their uh, their taxes go up. Um, you know, there is a an estate tax repeal in there. Yeah. yeah. Um, How many families? Uh, 5,400 families will benefit from it, and it's a $270 billion tax giveaway to the 5,400 families that pay that estate tax. So right now, as I understand it, it used to be like a million. Now it's five million is exempt, That's right. right? That's so right. You the can, majority of estates actually don't pay it because, um, you know, it's such a high threshold. So uh, 5,400 families will benefit from the repeal. And then here's another— did, And you said that three-quarters of middle-class families will actually see taxes— Taxes go, go up. Go up? Yes. God. Yes. I'm and sorry. And the ones that see um, any kind of an increase, it's like a $50 increase or, you know, very small increase, which when you look at—even that is— debatable, but you it depends on the decrease assumptions. from what they're paying. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, right. decrease from what they're paying. Um, but here's the other thing. $770 billion of that tax cut is going to corporations with this pass-through uh, uh, piece of the legislation. And so um, they, Donald Trump and the Republicans have lately been trying to argue that truckers mm. would get that tax mm-hmm. break. It's just lies. Are There's not a single that tr- can masquerade as middle class. Yeah, it's essentially um, you know uh, these entities that allow for profits to go through them. So LLCs and things like that, um, limited liability corporations. Usually, mm-hmm. there is a small percentage, very tiny, that might be small businesses, but the majority of those organizations or those entities are set up by hedge fund managers and folks on Wall Street who are just trying to shelter their profit. And so this is – Donald Trump, by the way, owns 500 of those pass-through entities. So that $770 billion that is going to pass through entities, you can be sure that a lot of that will end up with him. Well, I think overall that – right, he, he reads this – uh, outline that he gets every day to see how it affects his companies, right? No, yeah. that's right. right. Yeah. That's right. And I mean, his we, buddies like Steve Mnuchin and uh, Gary Cohn. And exactly. Betsy DeVos. Yeah. <laughs> well, what. and it's it's really, um, it's painful to look at this and to think about all the people across the country who may have voted for this guy thinking that he was going to help them. And I think there are, you know, a bunch of is folks there like any, that. Is there any... Anything resembling reform to what you've seen so far? No. It's really just a tax cut. And you may have seen the report that said that Trump wanted to call it the cut, 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 cut. Yes. Yeah. Bill. Right. And, and the Republicans. Cut, cut, cut. There he is. There he is. <laughs> and the Republicans apparently said, no, we have to call it tax reform because people want tax reform um, because the tax system is unfair to a lot of folks. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I would make I would agree I think that we overall we need tax reform. Mm-hmm. The code is too complicated. 
um, filing is too complicated, all of that. But I haven't seen any talk here about real reform. No, there really isn't. It, it really is a series of cuts for the big corporations and the wealthiest of Americans. That's right. Well, one of the big pieces of this is, um, you know, cutting the corporate tax rate to 20%. Yeah, right. And this is based on another lies, lies, lies. Every time they say cut, 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 <laughs> I'm going to say lies, lies, lies. lies. Um, That's the real act. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, because Trump and Ryan and everybody keep saying that we have the highest tax rate for corporations of any country in the world. And, and it, we have to be competitive. And we have to be and competitive and all this stuff. Right. And, and and first of all, it's not true. Krugman did a, a, a piece in the New York Times where he talked about the biggest lies, and one of them was this, and he showed how compared to other developed countries, we're, we're not high at all. But the second thing is... because of what people pay. Well, right? that's the thing. You know, the effective tax rate is something like 18% because of, um, even though the corporate tax rate is 30 35%, the effective rate is around between 18 and 19%. And so um, what they're doing is they're cutting the corporate tax rate to 20, but they're not taking away the loopholes. So now the effective tax rate is going to be far below. I don't know if there's an estimate of that. I haven't seen it, mm -hmm. but um, it's going to be far below that that tax rate that they set because they haven't closed any of the loopholes. Right. So they continue to use the same loopholes, which means It'll go from 18 to, I don't know, yeah. 5 or something yeah, like that. exactly. And some, and some of those corporations, as we know, don't pay any taxes at all. At all, yeah. That was something that I saw in the state when I was in the state legislature and the state senate. We have a very crazy B&O tax system in Washington state that um, taxes on gross profit instead of net income. And I always wondered why big corporations didn't, fight back against that. And then I realized why, because they all have powerful lobbyists who have negotiated down mm. the tax rates for their industry. So the tech company, tech industry pays 0.3 of 1% Whoa. in taxes, right. um, state taxes. All right. Now, how much is this going to cost and how is it paid for? $4 trillion is the estimate that we are hearing. Um, and uh, they still haven't figured out how to pay for two and a half trillion of it and maybe more because a big part of how they were going to pay for it is to take away the state and local tax deductions. Yeah. And then, of course, to slash Medicaid, to slash Social Security, Disability, SSI, um, to raid all of those things. Um, and so... Now, the state and local tax piece is causing them the biggest problem because they have a lot of uh, Republicans in states. And it's actually not just the big states like New York and California. There are other red states that have uh, benefit tremendously from that deduction. And so now they're talking about allowing for a deduction for property taxes, but not for um, income sales and so, income, yeah, and that I don't think that's going to be enough to get people on board. Uh, but the other problem they have is now they don't even have that amount to pay for. So they're already talking about a two and a half trillion dollar deficit. And I just want to I want to say that the thing that they are trying to accomplish here it's a three step process. It, it, this is really what they're trying to get at. Number one, transfer trillions of dollars of wealth from working families to the top one percent in corporations. That's part of what mm -hmm. the tax plan is. Number two, drive up the deficit mm. substantially. Number three, use the deficit to cut spending on Medicare, Social Security, education, everything that they want to dismantle. 
um, that is their plan. And uh, you know, that's you the know. old David Stockman, Ronald Reagan plan. It is. Which it's the was, exact same thing. Yeah, uh, is deliberately uh, raise the deficit. Correct. And so they can use that as an argument for cutting social Correct. programs. Correct. Exactly. And, you know, I don't know if you saw, but Ronald, Re- and I'm going blank on his name, was it Bennett? Ronald Reagan's, um, the guy that worked for Jack Kemp that wrote the 1981 tax cuts. Paul Manafort? <laughs> 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 That's what he was doing back then. <laughs> um, oh, gosh, I can't think of his name. But anyway, he has come out and said, that he was an architect of those tax mm-hmm. cuts, and this trickle-down theory doesn't work any more today than it did yeah. back then. Yeah, I saw this. I forgot who it was that said it. But, but they yeah. keep Something selling it. Something with a B. They, I think they, it was Bennett. They keep selling it. You yeah, know, they and, keep selling it. But you fools know, keep falling for it. <clears throat> but we've got to, we have to keep lifting up Kansas. I mean, Kansas is the most recent closest example oh, right. of how ridiculous this theory is. They did the same thing in Kansas. They cut the the tax rate for the wealthiest. Mm-hmm. They did the same pass-through uh, exemption. Um, and they ended up cutting $700 million of, in spending. They had to go to less than a full-day, uh, full-year education, public education, because they didn't have any money. Their roads went into disrepair. They were downgraded. Their debt was downgraded by the ratings agencies. And it was all passed under Brownback um, and a Republican yeah. legislature in 2012. But they just had to roll it all back. A Republican mm. legislature just rolled it all back and said, this is crazy. We can't keep doing this. We have to roll back these tax cuts. It's not working. So that's what the public needs to think about. That's what we need to get the word out on. All right. So are they together at all on a bill? Is there a bill? And when will we see it? We don't have a bill. And right. they are rewriting the entire U.S. economy without a single hearing. There have oh, been no hearings right, on right. this bill. Democrats have no idea what's in it. I think there are a lot of Republicans that have no idea what's in it. So they are rewriting the U.S. economy without a single hearing. Um, stealing money from working families across the country without a single hearing. And so the plan is to bring this to a vote in the House without a single hearing. Correct. Right. They're they're saying they're going to bring it out today. Um, last I heard, eleven fifteen. I don't know if something has happened transpired in the last hour, um, but that's what they're saying. They're going to release it today. Um, and then they're saying we're going to vote on it in two weeks. We don't have a Congressional Budget Office score yet. Um, you know, we there's no information on it. Uh, things are changing even as we speak. Every day we hear something different. This morning I heard that they were thinking about not making the 20% corporate tax cut permanent because, of course, they've got a huge problem with the, with the deficit in the second uh, decade as well. Um, Wharton came out with a study yesterday or two days ago, Monday, it was Monday, um, that basically said increases the debt, I think they said $3.5 trillion in the first decade and then up to $10 trillion after that. Um, they said there's no way that these, um, these tax cuts are going to provide for growth in the economy. They said one3 to 1.4% growth in the economy at best and they're projecting a 3% growth in the economy. 
um, sustained. So, I mean, this is a bad deal for American families. That's what it comes down to. Right. Um, do you believe today that they'll be able to get anything through before the end of the year? I'm very worried, um, and I'm worried because of the budget reconciliation instructions that only require 51 right. votes in the Senate. I'm worried because Mitch McConnell in the past has you know, has done all kinds of things to blow up the rules when he can't get what he wants, as he did with the Supreme Court. Um, and so I am very worried because the pressure is high on them to get something through. And I have heard a lot of Republicans saying, I might just have to go along with this because we need to be able to go back and say we got something done. So I'm very worried, but I think that we can beat it back. I just think people have to know about it. They have to fight it the way that we did with health care and kill this thing. Right. And uh, so far, there are even, as you pointed out, some Republicans who are not willing to go along with what they've seen so far. So it's not certain, even though they've kind of designed it so they don't need any Democratic votes, it's not certain that they could get enough Republican votes. That's right. You, and, right. and the budget is a good the test The budget was that, 216 you know. to 212, right? That's or something right. Like that. It was just barely. four votes, barely yeah. made it And this was Paul Ryan's. Yep. 20 Republicans voted against that. Hmm. And um, it, the majority of them, it, it had to do with the state and local tax uh, right. issue. Right. But I also think the deficit, I mean, for a lot of, you know, like the Jeff Flake kind of Republicans of the world... Well, um, that well, idea. They all that used to be deficit hawks. Remember when uh, Democrats well, they were in charge? Well, they said they were deficit yeah, hawks, right, but every true. Republican right. administration or, or Congress has has actually increased the deficit. Well, that's when they're in charge. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. No, the and deficit, then Democrats come in and have you know somehow we deficit, become the deficit or hawks. deficit doves, depending yeah, on, uh, right. on who's in charge. That's I right. have to ask you about a couple of other issues today, yeah. or maybe it was yesterday. I believe it was yesterday. Was the first day people yes. could sign up for. Obamacare. Now, that's one of the biggest secrets uh, in this country today, because this administration, of course, has done nothing at all to advertise that, to encourage people to sign up, to assist people in yeah. signing up. Yeah. But there and and they did shorten this the enrollment they period it by as half. well. Yeah, yeah, from ninety days to forty five. Some states have extended it, like our state of Washington has extended it. Um, but yes, no, it's it's not just that they haven't done anything; they've actually been actively undermining. Enrollment. The, the programs that would en- yep. enable uh, yep. assist they people. They cut 90% of the outreach budget. Jesus. So there was an outreach budget to encourage people to sign up. They cut 90% of that budget. So, um, you it's know. It's too w- early, I guess, to tell whether, right? Are, are people signing up? Are people well, renewing their policies? I think it's tough. You know, I think that a lot of low income communities and communities of color will not sign up for two reasons. One, nobody's contacting them and they don't know what's happening. Um, and yeah. and number two, um, you know, because of all the instability and all the attempts to attack Obamacare and the subsidies, you know, controversy um, after they got rid of the subsidies for low income families, the insurance companies are um you know, nervous. And so they have increased their premiums across the board. So it's almost like a 30, 35% increase in premiums. So it's become really quite unaffordable. I mean, I've had a lot of constituents and friends who are signing up for Obamacare, who are uh, for the Affordable Care Act, who are saying, you know, I, I can't, I don't know if I can afford it because they've done everything they can administratively to drive up the costs 
to drive down enrollment and to make it very difficult for it to succeed. And they want people to say, oh, the Affordable Care Act is not succeeding. But let's be clear, it's the Republican administration, Trump administration, that's destroying any chance for families to get affordable health care. I'm sure there are also a lot of people, because of all the publicity around this uh, and all the negative publicity, who think that Obamacare is no longer available, right? I mean, they yeah. think they did actually yeah. reveal yeah. it. No, that's true. Or, or, or true. that it's not affordable or yes. that it's not, you know, whatever. Yes, it's, that too. And and also, you know, people um, don't like Obamacare, but they like the Affordable Care Act. Yeah. I mean, yeah, so, right. yeah. so we, I mean, it's just, it's kind of a bizarre situation where people don't really know what they have, but they do know that they, if they had health insurance, they do know that they liked a lot of the things that they had. And there were a lot of people who got health insurance that hadn't before. Uh, on another issue, uh, yesterday, this article from uh, The Hill, um, we know earlier uh, there were articles of impeachment against uh, Donald Trump filed by uh, Al Green, a Congressman yeah. Al Green from Texas and Congressman Brad Sherman from uh, California. Uh, yesterday, Congress, uh, your colleague, uh, Congressman Luis Gutierrez from Illinois, announced he's going to file new uh, articles of impeachment with another group of uh, uh, Democrats. And um, there's an article in Politico this morning that Leader Pelosi did everything she could yesterday to shut down this talk about impeachment. Have you signed on to either one of these uh, articles of impeachment? I haven't and signed on to anything yet. Um, you know, I'll say that uh, <laughs> several of us have been really thinking about how we responsibly address the crisis that we have in front of us. And um, I think that we have to, I don't think there's a question of law in terms of knowing that there are significant um, constitutional impeachable violations that Donald Trump has committed. I mean, it already. Just, already, it seems to me that that part is actually fairly clear. Um, but impeachment is not just about the law. It's a political process. And um in order for it to be successful, the majority party has to sign on to it. There's no way to move impeachment proceedings forward without the majority. Um, and so then the question really becomes, well, what is the goal? Um, and does it help us or hurt us in uh, taking back the majority? And does it help us or hurt us in building a movement that allows people to understand how Donald Trump is violating the Constitution. And I think there's there's just a lot of pieces in there. So there's, um, there's uh, I'll just say, you know, I'm on the Judiciary Committee is the other thing. And yeah. uh, the thing that bothers me uh, tremendously is that we have done so many things to try and have the Judiciary Committee exert the jurisdiction that it should have over these, you know, constitutional violations resolutions of inquiry, you know, we've requested hearings, we've held our own hearings outside of judiciary because Goodlatte won't do anything. And um, even after Mueller's indictments, uh, Ranking Member Conyers sent a letter to Goodlatte saying, we really need to be holding hearings on all these things. We're getting nowhere on it. And so, you know, they might drive us to having to... Um, file articles, but I, I do think we have to make sure that they don't backfire on us and that and that we have a way to be utilizing them to really show Americans what has happened. They have to be, in my mind, very legally soundproof in the wording. Um, I don't think it's a, you know, I think it's a serious, serious thing. Right. 
So you're not there yet. I'm not. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking. Uh, it is, um, yeah, and, and I, I, I certainly agree. I think, uh, and Congressman Green has been in studio with us a couple of times. Um, you could easily make a case for impeachment today. You don't have to wait for Robert Mueller. Yes. Although some people also say, let's wait and see what Mueller comes up with. No, I'm not in that category. I think that there yeah. are numerous, you know, and I, I think that certainly the, um, you know, all of the conflicts of interest um, and emoluments clause for sure. Um, I even think that some of the threats around uh, pulling licenses, uh, you know, from television stations. I mean, mm-hmm. the the yeah. the kind of cutting down of the press, um, you know. But but the thing is, I mean, impeachment has never been a legal process. It's it's all about when does the country get to that tipping point. Right. And if you right. do it too soon, I I do think it could backfire. And I I don't know where I you know. I go back and forth. Let me say I would sleep much better in right. some ways if we filed them. But um, at the same time, I think, you know, it, it's not about talking to people like you in the studio. It's it's about talking to the American people and talking to the Republicans. And in let's the House. agree it will be a different day when Democrats take back control of the House yes, in 2018. Exactly. All uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you are right that they're going to reveal this tax cut plan at uh, 11.15. We better get on our horse because you've got to be there, and I'm, <laughs> uh, and I'm supposed to be on CNN today at 11.15 talking about it. All right, oh, well, well that might go. be the time. I saw in political... Well, who knows what we'll be talking about. <laughs> I don't know. We may not have... Because we may cut, have, cut. We may cut, have cut, nothing cut. to talk about. Just say lies, lies, lies. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I got my line right here. Cut, 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 lies, lies, lies. Thanks so much, Congresswoman. Thank you. Thanks for who Thank you are you and for, for what you're doing. Thank you so much for having me on. What about those Facebook excuses, lame excuses, Ashley Gold from Politico. Tell us tell us all about it in the next half hour coming up next. Cut, cut, cut. Download our podcast. Search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is the Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Okay, on a Thursday, November 2nd, it is the Bill Press Show, and we appreciate your signing up for us uh, with us this morning, wherever you happen to be in this great land of ours. We're right there alongside of you on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Looking at you on Free Speech TV and uh, riding along with you uh, or running along with you or whatever out in the Chicago area on WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago. Thanks for joining us. Send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show at any time. We're brought to you today by the Laborers International Union of North America, I uh, L I U N A, Laborers International Union of North America, led by President Terry O'Sullivan. We salute the good men and women of the Labor's Union, thank them for the support of the program. Uh, and Peter Ogburn, a little breaking news? No, I just wanted to mention, we had Larry Cohen in earlier. Tomorrow, we're going to be releasing our oh, uh, right. third uh, podcast in the series, The Making of Bernie Sanders, which you only get at patreon.com slash bpshow, patreon.com slash bpshow. This is the third installment. It's the third installment. It'll be Larry Cohen and Michael Briggs together. 
uh, two not in the same room together, but uh, on this podcast, they're both going to be on there. Larry was one of the first, or was the first uh, labor leader to come out and endorse Bernie Sanders yes, for president. Yes. So we get his sort of uh, call or his conversation about why he was called to do that. And also the conversation with Michael Briggs, we talk a little bit about Senator Bernie Sanders and sort of what his pet issues were, who some of his friends have been in the Senate and things like that. So that's going to be dropping tomorrow. You can only get it at patreon.com slash show. So sign up today to make sure that you're there. Yeah. Uh, and I just want to say one thing related before we get to uh, our guest for this half hour is I was, uh, I, you don't hear me say this very often, but I, I was wrong. Oh, God. Is this about uh, the Dodgers? No. Well, I was wrong about the Dodgers, oh, okay. too. And the Cubs. Uh, and the Cubs. Uh, yeah. And the Nets. And the Nets. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I was wrong about Newt Gingrich. Um, oh. I was Whoa. hoping that when Callista Gingrich went to Rome, she would take Newt with her. And yeah. I see that he's on Fox and Friends right now. <laughs> and I saw him there yesterday morning. What I didn't realize, it's just the opposite of what I thought. Since she's out of town... We're going to see more of him on television. Oh no! Oh, Why the no. hell didn't she? Doesn't she take him? You know, with didn't her? he go to like the school? What is the school called for spouses of uh, ambassadors? Mm-hmm. Yeah, didn't he went. He went. He went through the whole program. He did. <laughs> did he really? He, he did. Isn't part of that program like don't go on cable news and talk about partisan politics? I, I'd love to see an, any other spouse of a of an ambassador go on TV. I was just hoping we would never see him again. He'd be in, Stuck in some Rome pizzeria or something, but <laughs> just the opposite. Sorry about that. We saw uh, an unbelievable um, performance on the last couple of days, actually, on the Hill. The leaders of the great uh, Silicon Valley, Facebook and Google and Twitter and all of them, really getting roasted by Democrats and Republicans on Capitol Hill um, because of all the ads that Russians were able to run on their platforms in the last uh, election. Um, and, um, and they profess that they didn't have any idea these were run, uh, these were being bought and paid for by Russians. Ashley Gold is a technology reporter for Politico, who's kind enough to join us in studio this morning. Hi, Ashley. It's good to see you. Good to see you. These guys didn't get a very great reception, did they? No, they didn't. Uh, to be fair, it was a very long, tough two days for them. They had three different hearings, uh, one before a subcommittee of the Senate Judiciary Committee, and then two before the House Intel Committee and the Senate Intel Committee. It was uh, the general counsels of all three companies. It was not the CEOs. and right. um, general counsel. So Facebook, Twitter, and... And Google. And Google, yeah. So Google sent a, a different staffer to... Um, the first hearing before judiciary, but generally it was the general counsels, not the CEOs. Some of the lawmakers expressed, you know, a little discontent that Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey weren't showing up to Washington and rather sending their lawyers. Uh-huh. So uh, what do we know about the extent of these ads? How many, where did they appear? How many were they, were there, how many people saw them, watched them, sent them out to their friends or whatever and... How much money are we talking about? Um, well, for Facebook, um, the what the information that first came out was that there were three thousand ads uh, that were purchased by the uh, Internet Research Agency, um, which uh, U.S. intelligence um, has said is an arm of the Kremlin to spread uh, misinformation in the U.S. They did not spend a ton of 3, money. Three thousand ads over a period of how long? 
This was a period over um, a couple of months uh, leading up to the election, and some of these ads were just not not even that costly at all. Some of them only cost them eight dollars, two dollars. <laughs> wow, really? Some of them cost up to a thousand dollars, but many of them were very cheap and managed yeah. to get a decent amount of engagement on Facebook. So it to- wasn't a big you know, a big spend for them to do this. But 3,000 of them, right, mm-hmm. on Facebook. On so, Facebook. So uh, an equal amount on Twitter and Google? or um, There weren't quite as many on Twitter and Google. For Google, it was mainly that uh, the Russians did buy some ads, but mostly the issues around Google is that RT is very, very popular on YouTube. Um, it's one of their most popular channels, mm-hmm. and... A couple of the lawmakers were asking Google why they would not kick RT off of their platform. Twitter has agreed to stop letting RT advertise on its platform, um, but Google has not. So the the YouTube thing was what was really big for them yesterday. But throughout the hearings yesterday, Google was trying to kind of distance itself from Twitter and Facebook saying, oh, we're not a social media network. We don't, you know, we don't have as many problems that they were kind, kind of trying to stand alone. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so back to these 3,000 ads, and um, they were seen, do we know, by how many? So what came out yesterday was that close to 146 million users of Facebook and Instagram combined, because Instagram is owned by Facebook, Yeah. Um, didn't necessarily see the ads, but saw content that was created out of the ads. It led to events and other links and other shares, and that's called organic content. And up to that many people, 146 million, saw content that came out of ultimately clicking on these pages and these ads. Can you describe some of these ads? Yeah. So yesterday we got the first look at some of these ads. The House Intelligence Committee uh, Democrats released a selection of them. So there was one uh, that was a fake Black Lives Matter ad. It was targeted to people that were um, age 18 plus in Georgia, Maryland, Missouri, Virginia. There was a Blue Lives Matter ad. Uh, there was a Buff Bernie coloring book uh, that was, um, it was, uh, you know, targeted at people who liked the page LGBT United. And if you, you know, if you clicked on it, you saw a Buff Bernie Sanders and you could color him in. Um, color there- the rainbow, is it? Yeah, so you could, you know, make them look colorful. And then there were events that were advertised, such as a Not My President event. That was the day after the election that was targeted to young people in New York that wanted them to gather in Union Square. Now, I saw that ad. So how would that be a pro-Trump ad? So it wasn't a pro-Trump ad, and not all of these ads were pro-Trump ads. They were mostly aimed at dividing people and inflaming you know, opinions people already had, but kind of amplifying them and pitting them against each other. And in one instance... There was um, an advertisement for an event in Texas uh, uh, that was anti-Muslimization of Texas, and the other event was a, a, a pro-Muslim, a, a good, you know, a Muslim group, and they scheduled events at the same time. And people showed up to these events, but none of the organizers were there because the organizers were the Internet Research Agency back in Russia. So, right. literally setting up people to be standing on opposite sides of the streets of each other and be fighting. Um, you know, and there was and no, people actually showed up, and people actually showed up. It's amazing. Holy but cow! Then th- th- I go back to the people who designed these ads and and thought up these ads and wrote these ads and placed them. I mean, in in target areas of the country, 
that you would think nobody in Moscow would have any idea about, right? I mean, yeah, like, it, I saw some of these guys ran in Ferguson, Missouri, for mm-hmm. example. It shows that they're really paying attention to what's going on in the U.S. and all of the racial tensions and kind of crazy stuff that's happened the past couple of years. And they really know how to tap into that and how to, you know, prey on people's insecurities and fears and biases they already have and kind of bring them out. Well, luckily, we have settled all those as a nation, and those are pretty much all, all gone, so we don't yeah, have to worry right. about that anymore. Oh, man. <laughs> right. Uh, and then they claim uh, that they didn't know where these ads were coming from, right? They didn't, that, that they had no idea they were coming from Russia. Uh, and, and as uh, Senator Al Franken and maybe others pointed out, Hello, they were paid it for in rubles. Mm-hmm. First of all, mm-hmm. I didn't know you could buy anything on Facebook and any other currency but dollars, but that's a small point, I guess, maybe. But uh, wouldn't that be a sort of a giveaway? You would think that would be a giveaway. Um, the problem is, you know, Duh. there is not technically rules against who can buy ads on Facebook. Facebook is an international platform. They, they service people in countries all over the world. Mm. They technically don't have a rule against accepting foreign money, but... You know, where it gets messy is that foreign money is not allowed in elections and there's no, you know, technical regulation over these online platforms and and selling ads. And much of their ad selling is is automated. They don't actually have people, you know, seeing who wants to buy ads. It just gets done automatically. Well, you know, we know because we're on several of these platforms, right, that they have what are they called? Algorithms? Yeah, yeah. That's That's the word. You got it. That pick up bad words or misleading words or pornographic words, I don't know, and they just sort of shut you down. Um, So you would think that they would uh, notice not just that um, people are paying with a foreign exchange, foreign currency, but there's so many of them in rubles. I mean, I'm sure whatever the currency is in Brazil. There might have been some ads brought, bought by mm-hmm. somebody in Brazil, but not 3,000 of them in two months' time, right? Don't yeah. you think that would cause a few bells to I ring? I do think so, but it's also important to remember that these companies are huge, and they make so much money off of advertisements, and they sell so many advertisements every day that a lot of it, it's just the transactions go through. No human reviewer is you know, necessarily looking to see who's buying what. I mean, I... You know, I'm not going to say I can totally see how it could go under the radar, but these companies are massive, and all of their apparatuses around them mm-hmm. are huge. Yeah, no, that, that's a, that's an interesting. But it's not like there's somebody out there looking for this stuff. Yeah, I mean, and they do have content on. reviewers, but yeah. you know, it's never quite enough. And they have said that they will add more content reviewers. Mark Zuckerberg on Facebook's earnings call yesterday said that he was very concerned that people abuse the platform. Uh, for their own gain, and that he'd be adding more staff to reviewing ads, and that it may eventually um, affect Facebook's bottom line if they have to hire more staff to kind of deal with this problem, but he was willing to do that. One of the strongest voices uh, heard yesterday at the hearing was from uh, California Senior Senator uh, Dianne Feinstein, who warned about, I think, the whole, the big picture uh, that we're dealing with Mm -hmm. here. I must say, I don't think you get it. I think the fact that you're general counsels, you defend your company, that what we're talking about is a cataclysmic change. What we're talking about is the beginning of cyber warfare. What we're talking about is a major foreign power with the sophistication and ability 
to involve themselves in a presidential election and sow conflict and discontent all over this country. Uh, indeed. I mean, the sophistication that we talked about, that they would know what issues to hit, what areas of the country, and how to do it. Um, and um, uh, cyber warfare uh, is a pretty strong term, but it, I think it's pretty right on, too, isn't it? It definitely is. And, you know, as everyone knows, uh, the Russians have been engaged in disinformation campaigns uh, for decades. They have long tried to meddle in our elections, but now it's just so much easier for them because we have these online tools that they know Americans are using and they know they can get people this way. And, um, it, you know, we're at the kind of beginning of this uh, in there. We've seen they've tried to do it in other elections across the world. And it's, you know, something that Washington and, you know, Silicon Valley are going to have to pay very close attention to for coming elections. I, I want to read this uh, line from Margaret Sullivan's column in today's Washington Post. We need to admit the obvious. If there had been no Facebook spreading Russian propaganda, there might well be no President Trump. And there's little reason to think this kind of influence will wane, that this kind of result won't keep happening. And she sort of makes the point, which I think is an interesting one, that money and consumption are sort of like the defi- like part of what defines this new generation of voters, right? Like a lot of millennials and people that have been brought up around technology, right? Like this is where they live their lives. Mm-hmm. So much of it is virtual and, and, and not actually real. And so, like, yeah, this is going to keep happening. We're going to like the but, fu- we're going to have battles, not just on the battlefield, but we're going to have battles online. Absolutely. But what I find so revolutionary about this is, um, we're used to thinking that big money influences elections, right? The Koch brothers mm-hmm. going to spend eight hundred million dollars or whatever. Uh, Bernie's able to raise you know two hundred and fifty or some million or whatever from small donors. But of course, they were all small donors. I shouldn't have used that example for me. But you know, the, we hear they've got so much more money than the other guy that they're definitely going to win. This was a, not a lot of money. Right. It's it, this is doing it, throwing an election with little money. Yeah, you five know, bucks here, a dollar there. Right. Senator Warner kept saying yesterday they certainly got a return on their investment. Yeah. It you could you know spend not a lot of money and make a huge yeah. impact, reaching yeah. thousands and thousands of people. Right. Um, a smartly spent $5, $50 can go a lot farther than, you know, the typical $2,000 donation. You know? mm-hmm. I just thought of something. Were any of these ads on our Facebook account? I don't think so, no. I mean, no. We didn't buy them no. for sure, but I mean, could they have put them on our if you were, if you happened to be in a demographic that was targeted, if you liked a certain page, mm. uh, you might have cropped up, but- Depends. <laughs> God forbid. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't even know that I want to know. Uh, but then, so the, back, back to what Senator Feinstein said, what are we doing? Um, and, and, you know, I remember when President Obama was elected, I've mentioned this before, the first, I believe, the first interview that he gave was with John Harwood from CNBC. And at the end of in the interview, the throwaway question from John Harwood was, what keeps you awake at night? And the president said, cybersecurity. You know, and as a White House reporter, I remember at the time thinking, "What? Yeah, what? What? Yeah, Where did that yeah. come from?" I mean, I'd never in a thousand years would have thought that that's what he would say, and he, he surprised a lot of people. But so this is a real significant. Now we see, right, what can happen. We've seen attempts before 
to hack into the White House and Defense Department, whatever, mm-hmm. on the part of the Chinese mm-hmm. and the Koreans, I guess, and the Russians. But now we really see cyber warfare. Yeah. What are we doing about it? And are this we, isn't even hacking. This is this just is, using this tools is not at hacking. hand. No, right. Yeah. Yeah. What are we doing? Well, you know, every company. Or what can we do? Every company that came out yesterday and the day before, they've all pledged to add more staff to be reviewing content. Um, they've all agreed to add a certain amount of transparency to their ad practices that they, you know, Facebook has said, we're going to make it so you can check the source of every ad you see on Facebook. You can click on it, see who paid for it, see who they're targeting. So they're doing all these attempts at, you know, self-disclosure, and it may be in a bid to fend off legislation that's been proposed uh, by Amy Klobuchar, Mark Warner, and Senator John McCain called the Honest Ads Act, which would make online platforms be subject to the same rules as TV, radio, and satellite for disclosing the buyers you of their have ads. To, you shouldn't have to click on it. The ad should show you who's mm-hmm. paying for it, which mm-hmm. you have to do in political ads, mm-hmm. even though some of them are you know, BS organizations, you may not be sure they, who they are. Yeah, they're but getting smarter, too. They're getting smarter about that by disguising themselves. But you right. know, all the political ads, you see them, I'm Mark Warner, and I paid for this message, or I'm Ralph right. Northam. And, and these lawmakers them. really want it to, you know, make yeah. political ads the same way. Yeah, I mean, the idea that you trust these companies to police themselves and to, and to um, solve the problem of cyber warfare for the United States, forget it. Right? Yeah, no, look, I mean, Facebook has not done a very good job. I think we can all agree on that, right? And Because Facebook, up until this point, has been responsible for, like, no one's been looking at it. Right. Like, it's just kind of like, well, we just trust Facebook to get this handled, right. to get this sorted out, which is, in hindsight, not very smart. People rely on these technology companies. They're dependent on them. For some of them, it's how they connected to the outside world. It's a very positive thing for them. So they just kind of, you know, by default, trust these companies, but... No, that... Uh, no. See, they have lived in a world of their own for, like, for a sure. long time. For sure, and they don't want to be regulated, and no, they still don't no. want to be regulated. Everybody's <laughs> considering them. They're so smart. They're the leaders, you know, of the future, and, and everything is going... We're in the technological world, and, and we sort of trust them. Right, and they are and, very smart, but, you know, at a certain well, point, you've got some stuff to grapple with. Right, but it seems like right now they've taken a body blow in terms of their... It's been a rough week for them, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and um, I, I think going forward, you know, they may recover, but it's not going to be the same kind the of level f- free of trust. ride that they've had. Yeah, the level of trust with users and with lawmakers will certainly go down. By the way, they sent their general counsel this week. Where were the actual CEOs? Uh, yeah, no, that's a good point. Mark Zuckerberg had been in China, actually. Oh, um, yeah. I'm not sure where Jack Dorsey was. Um, well, I'll tell you, Tim Cook and and Mark Zuckerberg and I forget who else. They were there when President Xi he summoned a mm-hmm. a two day conference mm-hmm. of technology leaders to yeah. talk about how China was going to expand its use of the internet. Mm-hmm. So that there are a lot of customers there, right, that brought them to China. Yeah. I mean, are yeah. we going to actually see Mark Zuckerberg? And, or Jack Dorsey testify in front of these lawmakers, or are they going to send somebody else every time? Um, I know that a lot of lawmakers on these committees want to see these CEOs. Whether they will convene more hearings and you know compel them to come, I'm not sure. I, it's, it's definitely something that you know that's been called for. Senator Angus King, especially, was calling for that yesterday. So we'll see. It's hard to say that they're taking it seriously. I mean, look here in 
hashtag this town, <laughs> right? Like the optics are everything. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to say that these, these CEOs are taking it seriously if they're just not going to show up. Right, right. Well, Mark Zuckerberg has a presidential campaign to worry about, right. so he That's can't right. have any bad yeah. optics. Yeah, you know? it, it sort of reminded me of the famous um, tobacco company executives, all lined up and all <laughs> being grilled and all lying about what they knew and when they knew mm-hmm. it. Uh, I mean, yeah. the, the tobacco. Just said we never knew that that. Uh, Tobacco was, cigarettes uh, are bad for you. Cigarettes are bad for you. Yeah. yeah, or the nicotine was bad for you. Right? These was, people were saying we never knew. It was definitely a turning point for tech. They they have long had a very uh, cozy, warm reception in Washington and have thrown a lot of money at lawmakers. And it's turning a little colder now. Right. So the the legislative solution, or the legislative approach that we've seen so far is this honest. The Honest Ads Act. Right. Bipartisan support. It's bipartisan. Um, the main writer on it is uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar, who's on the Judiciary Committee and the Rules Committee, and she teamed up with Senator Mark Warner, and they didn't want to introduce the bill until they had a Republican on board because they really wanted to make sure the message was this is a bipartisan effort. This is about national security and the integrity of our elections. It's you know not about trying to prove collusion or get Trump. It's, it's really about protecting our elections. So they got Senator John McCain on board. Um, there is a House counterpart that also has a Republican on board. And um, I've been asking around trying to see if more lawmakers are going to sign on to that bill because it's not clear right now whether it really has a chance to pass. Many of them said they were waiting until yesterday's hearings um, to kind of see what the tech companies had to say for themselves before they decided. So we'll see whether that bill picks up more momentum now. Yeah. The headline in The New York Times this morning, Congress scolds tech companies uh, over Russia. Maybe they'll do more than scold. Maybe they'll actually uh, uh, do something about it. Uh, but your reporting on this has been outstanding, Ashley. Thank you so much. Thank you. For all you're doing. Uh, been busy days for you, we know. Uh, Ashley Gold is at Politico. It's politico.com. Uh, we'll let you get back to work. Thank, Thank you. you. The rest of the day, folks, is all yours. But uh, we'll be here tomorrow. And uh, come on back. This you know, we'll is the Bill Press Show.